0: Welcome to Line of Credit, a podcast by Merricks Capital, where we bring you insights from across the private credit space in agriculture, commercial real estate, infrastructure, energy, and more. Your host is Adrian Redlick, Executive Chairman and Chief Investment Officer at Merricks Capital. Our guest this episode is Andrew Natter, Managing Director of OMSB and Managing Director of Kimberley Marine Support Base. Uh, welcome everyone this is uh, Adrian Redlick the chief investment officer of Merrick's Capital and this is another edition of line of credit and today I've got Andrew Natter who is the managing director of OMSB and KMSB which are the two port companies that bookend the Pilbara in Northwest WA welcome Andrew thanks for having me Adrian yeah good to, good to have you and um, I think you know you're the MD of some really unique assets and Merrick's is, is proud to be providing the the senior debt um, for the development of KMSB, and we'll, we'll get into that and talk about that a little bit later. But what would be great for our listeners is for you to give us a couple of minutes of uh, background and then we can sort of jump into the, the nature of ports in the northwest.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. So a little bit of background on myself. I've been uh, working in the Pilbara region and the Kimberley region now for nearly 25 years. My background is really in strategic infrastructure, so I have a a trade background and further education in engineering, uh, and that took me into the space working with uh, the likes of BHP and Fortescue and and other major iron ore companies. And really my focus has been around that port and roads and rail and, uh, and power across all of those companies and i suppose uh you know through that time you know the love for ports came about where you know the whole time working on them whether it was upgrading shiploaders berths, or improving efficiencies i really learned that they were the uh were the funnel to the rest of the world for a lot of commodities and uh and also not only the export side of things but you know the understanding that without the consumable items that need to feed these companies they really don't operate and you know when i think back at back to you know going through that almost in my apprenticeship, I learned very quickly that you can have the best product in the world and you can have the best rail and road, but without a port, you really didn't have a, a product. You know, going through upgrading and, and like I say, you know, working on new developments both in Port Headland and, and Dampier and, and a whole lot of work in the Kimberley as well, I saw that the majority of our capacity was taken up, you know, and rightly so, on the export of you know these major bulk items, whether it was, you know, predominantly initially it was iron ore and, and then LNG, and then the difficulty, you know, for the uh, consumable items trying to get in, whether it was even for their own companies from a maintenance perspective or, or feeding or um, housing all the workers that worked at all these mine sites and that's where the opportunity sort of was born from and you know I knew that it was important for the industries to, to get as much product out as possible and you know, trying to compete with bulk exports, with the continual limes and even some of the now the rare earths and so the likes of lithians and you struggle to get birth space. And that's where I started working on the first opportunity, which was, which was IMSB and, and that's the southern end of the Pilbara. You know, we embarked on, on uh, working with the state government to take on a lease and go through the process of actually building from scratch uh, a new port facility so maybe
0: just describe to listen where is onslow
1: so onslow is south of dampier about um thereabouts 300 kilometers so if you can think of the wheatstone project or some of the chevron projects so there's gorgon and, and wheatstone onslow or imsb sits 12 kilometers as a crow flies to the north of wheatstone Um, So it's in the Ashburton region. And uh, yeah, it really is on that southern boundary of the Pilbara.
0: So how far north of Perth is Onslow?
1: Onslow is about 1,600 kilometres. It's not close, and when you think about, it could be anything from plastic chairs uh, that support the the camps at you know, these mine sites. That's the, the closest point. If you need to get plastic chairs from uh, which they do, they come from Perth and via truck. It's a 3,200 kilometre round trip. And when you think, you know, the majority of goods that are going into the Pilbara, it's anywhere from that, you know, 1,600 kilometres to 2,400 kilometres there and then back. So the most disadvantaged points are the round trip for a truck is 4,800. Kilometres, it's a long way.
0: Yep, so there's no port between Perth and Onslow. Um, It's got to be one of the longest stretches in the world, maybe outside of Russia or Canada, places like that, without ports. And then between, so maybe uh, a little bit of history on Onslow. So Onslow has been up and running for a couple of years now. Um, Maybe give us a little history on the, the development of Onslow before we talk about the other end of the Pilbara.
1: Onslow started for us about seven years ago and that includes like negotiating of leases and approvals and and really the way that we uh, embarked on that project was inseparable portions so the first two years was been able to get a, a substantial lease on the area and then once we were able to obtain the lease through the Department of Transport we actually went through the process of um, of the you know the likes of the environmental approvals and uh, construction etc and so we were able to lease the land side so we've got 31,000 square meters of land side and then we um, we also undertook a seabed lease which is our channel so that stretches out you know several kilometers out to sea and a waterway license stage one of the project was actually building two-thirds of the base so initially we had um, a berth line of 190 meters and 26,000 square meters and once we'd completed that we uh, undertook the capital dredge and in doing that we actually um, we reclaimed all of the material so from an ESG point of view rather than removing the material and then basically placing it somewhere else in the ocean we took every piece back to shore and our whole base is actually built out of the material that was extracted and the other 900,000 thousand cubes was actually gifted to the uh shire of ashburton and uh and that was used to develop 20 odd hectares of industrial land you know for for later use so we completed uh stage two which was the initial part of the capital dredging and once we completed that we actually went through the process of doing the final extension to the birth line and we had an operating facility and that was that basically brought us to 277 lineal meters of uh of birth face and, uh, and some thirty-one thousand square meters of laydown area. Once that was completed, we went through the process, and you know, so you go through and excavate the channel. You, you finish all the the base off. You do the surfaces, and then. To become an you know, an operating port with uh, with the approvals, you have to go through and um, and it's and it's literally confirming the depth of your channel and then putting that through um, the appropriate uh, departments and and you know getting a declared depth and that takes a you know a certain amount of time and and similarly um, we chose to operate our facility differently to um, you know to some of the other facilities that are out there and that was basically you know we have a process for receiving all goods yeah and that stems from my background of uh, engineering constructing facilities and and looking to the future as well uh, one of the big things for us is we see a lot of you know the decarbonization space and also the decommissioning space now a port is as I described earlier it's a funnel it's an intermodal location where Products are going to come in, and then they're going to go get taken either into the hinterlands for utilisation or uh, reuse, and vice versa. You get products that have been extracted or developed, and then they're going to go out to the rest of the world. So, in considering that, rather than you know, a lot of our other ports where they're biased to one product or maybe two or three, we took it upon ourselves to go. Well, we're going to receive you know a whole lot of different things, and um, and so if we look at Onslow, it sits. At the epicenter, basically, of the Carnarvon Basin, and there's a multitude of islands out there, and there's been a multitude of things that have, you know, that have occurred over the last 50 years, and that's everything from you know WA oil, where they initially found oil deposits and they extracted it, and they're not used anymore; they're disused. Or, you know, there's old tanks on islands, there's brick runways, there's um, there's a whole lot of different things. So, we took it upon ourselves to uh, to make sure from an Environmental Protection Authority Department of Water and Environment that whatever was coming in, we actually had a management procedure that was approved by the regulator to handle those products before they were taken off. So it was best practice. And so like red bricks or soil sand on the islands that may have been contaminated from concrete or dust suppression that they use at the time. So where they're removing that and putting it in containers, well, we can actually handle that because we have a process for it. So it comes in, we know what we're doing. It's uh, fully in, you know, in accordance with the regulatory authorities. And then that gets taken away and either put in storage or It's clean, greened, uh, for reuse and um, yeah, put to good use. Yep, mm. so, so um,
0: tell me how much did it cost to uh, build OMSB? Look, Trade it's
1: secrets. A, it is, yeah, look, yeah, um, <clears throat> it's not cheap, yeah, you know, there's more than just a channel. If you work out, you know, there's a, a capital dredge that occurred, I think if you're dredging from anywhere from 80 to 140 dollars a cube and and you remove you know, nine hundred thousand cubes. That gives you sort of a number. Um, we built in uh, collaboration with Department of Transport a whole brand new training wall. So we went half each in that, and then you know, we built a, a supply base that's um, you know second to none with you know the heaviest lift up and down the whole coastline. A full land-backed sheep-hold face wall. Um, there's nothing that we can't lift and load. So again, it's. Um, you know, replacement value there is well and truly in excess of 200. And that's been
0: running um, now for a couple of years um, in terms of when was practical completion and, and how's it gone relative to your. Best laid plans.
1: Yeah. Um, so when we talk about that, and again, my engineering background and construction background, uh, practical completion because it was inseparable portions. It really it happened. It occurred over you know several steps, but really we are now at where we need to be with everything completed. I would say eighteen months to two years ago, and that was really because we had to start from ground zero. Um, it's you know it is when we talk about KMSB shortly, you'll see what the difference is almost be if we look back in history it did service these islands and it was a much shallower Uh, waterway you know so a lot of barges but it still did big things you know if i think about it supported a lot of big rock campaigns and rocks are used to stabilize pipes on the bottom of the ocean floor so there was a lot of construction that was used from there it did have a fishing industry as well but you know it was primarily industrial but it wasn't an exporting importing port at the time Um, whereas now we've got our s15 classification that allows the import and export we're not a first point of entry yet but we're working on that as well, you know, around that general cargo, so that we can really support all the hinterlands with, um, you know, consumable items, etc. But it's fair to say it's hitting its
0: financial milestones. Yeah, and so maybe talk about, yeah, because we'll get on to KMSB at the moment and the challenges of financing ports that are remote. Um, and there's always lots of debate around what's the volume going to be through various ports. How do you know, you know, for certain? what the traffic is going to be and, and price points and those sort of things. Maybe just give us a little bit of the historical debate you know, when you were financing OMSB because it was, the funding predominantly came from the North Australian Infrastructure Fund, NAIF, if I've got that
1: correct. No, it's 50-50 traditional bank and the NAIF and then you know equity from ourselves. A lot of what we do, particularly in the space with general cargo, it's... It's not like you can look into the future and go, right, we're going to need this many doorknobs, you know, whatever widgets. There's certain things that you can, because you can look historical. So like light vehicle tyres on mine sites, they know on average, you know, depending on which sites they are, they might burn through four to six tyres. So they can go, we've got a thousand cars. So next year we're going to go through 4,000 tyres or whatever it might be. But unless it's a a liner service, which is like every 14 days we're going to have this vessel. So you can book... You can you can have that vessel booked to come every fourteen days, but in you know most port authority waters they don't book until eight days out. When you're talking about bulk commodities or, you know, a product that's been developed, well then you have reservation fees. And um, and so you know, you might have a facility that's gonna operate for the next forty years and they know that they need a minimum amount to be exported every single year and so they'll come in and and we'll work with those parties and we'll have a um we'll create a reservation fee so onslow is similar but different to to broom broom has been a state shipping location for 120 years and so we know a lot of historical what's been happening and what gets imported and exported through there with onslow you're right it was um it was different A lot of what we were doing was supporting the offshore industry and that includes everything from again you know the supply vessels that are going in and out Um, it could be fuel it could be water it could be waste materials the decommissioning space which is really really hitting its straps now and you know when i think about that we've you know we've had a big focus at on that i think that all of us have a, uh, a corporate responsibility and a personal responsibility to clean up along the way but not only just clean up and just put into the in you know into waste facilities all the companies that we're working with they're actually bringing this material in and there's a 98 percent recovery of it and putting it to good use so if you've got a steel pipe it's not just been thrown away it's actually been reutilized the same with plastic and other things and so going back to where the funding piece of it it wasn't at the time we had to work with uh, an existing operator and they were operating out of out of dampier and so for us it was a long-term lease and, and having an operator come in and operate the facility. And also, we we're also doing a capital dredge and they're not easy things to fund either, civil projects underwater. And that's where the NAIF were able to come in and, and support us. And again, with the traditional funder, we were able to to do get that debt facility up and going. But a lot of it is understanding your market that's out there and, um, and so if I think of right now, there's a vessel that's been trying to get a berth for the last three and a half weeks in the Pilbara region and hasn't been able to get in there because of, you know, and it's a good problem to have to offload a number of uh, uh, containers that are needed for transporting materials. There's a couple of thousand on there and it's just been in demurrage because uh, of lack of availability. And so if we look at that whole demurrage space, and even with you know, the construction of other projects in other ports at the moment, there is real congestion. And um, from a security of um, constructing new projects and other things, there is no question there's a demand there. And we also, you know, if I think about in front of Onslow supporting operating infrastructure and, uh, and upgrading and maintaining. It's. I don't see the the end of it right now. Um, it's going so to. So how's it me.
0: performing versus your expectations? Obviously, getting down to financial tin tax, is it done better or worse? I don't know if you want to. Obviously, you shared with us some of the financials. I don't know how public. You,
1: yeah. You know I you mean, it's obvious. Yeah, it's a private company where it's. Where it's heading is far better than I have ever expected, to be honest. And I think that's partly the infrastructure is amazing. And that's, you know, we, we have a motto with all of our projects to, to not be the limitation. The vessels have to be the limitation, not us. And that's whether it's the lifting capacity, but also those, the ability to receive whatever good and be able to manage it appropriately before it departs our facility to go wherever it needs to go so whether it's the decommissioning space or potentially solar panels or wind turbines you know there's nothing that we can't handle and some of those things weren't on the horizon particularly in that decarbonization space when we when we first started the project so i'm i would say that we're well and truly outperforming our expectations so maybe we'll just
0: Move to talking about KMSB or Kimberley Marine Support Base, colloquially known to many of us as the Broome Port or the new Broome Port. Yeah, that, that's obviously a project that's under development now and Merrick is proud to be providing almost $100 million a, of debt um, to support the development of that. Maybe you can just compare and contrast you know, what you had to go through at uh, Onslow um, in terms of uh, ahead of you with, with Broom, which is obviously... Very tidal port, um, which is one of the, the big challenges, but also the exciting
1: opportunities. So the difference between RMSB and Broom is um, the tidal variance as you uh, as you put. So in Onslow we have a tidal prism of you know thereabouts three meters, and in Broom we have a tidal variance of ten plus meters, and that's where our opportunity comes. What I mean by that is at the moment the existing infrastructure is a fixed facility, and so. To be able to allow for the uh, 10 metre tidal prism, it has to be higher than the highest point in the tide. And even more so that, you know, um, we all know that the Pilbara and the Kimberley region, every year cyclones traverse past or, or come through. And so on top of that tide, you also get a further higher tide on top of the high tide if it happens at the exact same time. So the existing broom facility if you have a crane and you've got a vessel alongside and it goes to the low tides, you've, you've got a difference you know, of the top of the deck to the deck of, the, um, of a vessel that's been loaded, of well, thereabouts 15 meters. And, uh, and so that's a very big lift and at times you actually can't load and offload. If I think about some of the, uh, the livestock vessels that go in and out of there, or even some of the cruise ships they have difficulty getting people off or, or, or cattle on and off or fodder, on and off. So they have to start and stop their loading. So what we were focused on is um, one is being able to build a new facility that is as efficient as possible. So there's no point in the tide that we can't load or offload and um and also one of the things that we liked about Broom is you know we're actually working in a brownfields location and every time we get an opportunity to build something new you know a, a lot of our consideration is around that esg point so it's lowest amount of impact but big impact in the space looking forward so whether it's carbon reduction or net zero we needed to build a facility that one allowed us to operate in that 10 meter tidal prism And so seven days a week, 24 hours a day, obviously we don't, no port operates during a cyclones, but we have to build a piece of infrastructure that can withstand whatever cyclones come our way. It sounds difficult and you know, there's a lot of engineering that goes into it, but every facility in the Pilbara and all through the Kimberley queensland everywhere else that's that's what we all have to work towards and we've got good information and engineering principles to deal with that and so and it had to be large enough that could facilitate all the different trade so that we could really make a difference and so we're already an importing exporting location so it's different to Onslow. so we're not starting from a scratch so we had the historical and and you know the port is an operating port so under the kimberley port authority so that was good you're in a brownfield location so there's all road infrastructure there's other port infrastructure like you know, water supply, fuel supply people, storage facilities we needed to find a location that had appropriate water depth and we were blessed in this location because uh, there is zero dredging required and uh, the naturally occurring birth pocket is going to be one of the deepest birth pockets in, in Australia. So we were able to optimise the opportunity with the floating asset in extremely deep water and that's also an advantage to us during uh you know weather events so cyclone the thing about broom is that um in front of us is extremely deep water it goes down to 32 meters and so uh on the other side of that we've got a shallower area and when i say the other side to that i'm talking you know hundreds of meters out nearly a kilometer out there's a shallower area so as the cyclones come around the coastline and waves have developed by wind and distance but what we get is those waves actually they disperse all the energy on the on the lower the shallow water which is more than you know hundreds of meters out nearly a kilometer out to out to sea in front of it and then you go into this really deep water and that's you don't as we all know waves travel in the deep water and then when they hit the shallow that's where you you know potentially you go surfing or whatever it is and that's where they um, that's where they disperse themselves. But they, in our case, all the energy is dispersed on the shallow bank in front, and then we have our deep berth pocket. So it's actually perfectly placed, and, and most probably, you know, part of the reason why the existing infrastructure has weathered so well, and so the port authority picked the perfect location, except for you know they're in the shallower part to us, and so we've been able to to locate it in a in a very safe location. We've been able to um, hold it in place goes up and down with the tide. So now we don't get a variance between our deck and the deck of a boat that's forever changing. So if you can imagine, you know, two tides in, in a day that not all tides are the same. So it could be six to eight meters. And, and if you've got that occurring, The whole time you're literally chasing ropes whereas in our case a vessel comes alongside it ties itself up and the two work together they go up and down together so from a a management and a risk perspective of operating and loading vessels we're highly efficient compared to other locations because they all majority of them are are fixed whereas we're not in height and from a safety perspective when we do a case study or risk assessment for lifting we don't have that tidal change yeah you know, we've got other uh, things that we need to consider whether it's wind or or yeah. you know, rain if it was to occur but in our case taking that out is is a massive advantage so we went through the process we worked out how to restrain the uh, facility in location and to give everyone an idea of the size of the floating asset it's bigger than an aircraft carrier and so you know there's over a hectare of of available lay down area what we call just in time so again everything that we do is about you know being as efficient as possible and we consider everything about reduction of carbon and all of those things because we're very focused on it and i should have mentioned no one must be the first west australian port that is net zero Um, and similarly we're doing the exact same thing with broome and so with us uh, the way it's been designed for broome is we know the vessels that are coming to us we are prepared when we receive them and we want to turn them around as quickly as possible so we had to create a space that that could provide that just-in-time service and at the same time make sure that we could consider a multitude of of industries, and, and what I mean by that is we're very focused on the general cargo. When I talk about that, on you know, so containers, the reality is that you know, I, I think about Christmas time now, and if you think about the majority of the container ships that sort of go into the Pilbara right now region, they're, they're about 120 lineal metres in length, and you know, we call them 600 TU, so 600 containers that's about that's 200 trucks each container vessel if that didn't stop at broome and it goes to perth which is what's happening right now and it offloads its cargo that's 200 trucks that need to drive to broome and back to drop off uh, those goods and so that drive is 4,800 kilometers round trip and includes that vessel going down to perth you're sailing right past us all the way offloading and going Back to Singapore, which is the reconsolidation hub, and we're the closest point to it. So, a big piece to what we do is that uh, general cargo piece, and there's 18,000 people in Broom, and so the opportunity for them is access to goods quicker security of supply coming to them less damage along the transport a whole lot less carbon created by the 4800 kilometer round trip and also the price Yeah, you know, if you think about four-wheel drive tires it's kind of, it's the easy one to talk about you know they're imported in it was very clear in the the due diligence
0: that obviously the geological stability of the ground and the port knowing what was there made it a lot easier to, for everyone to get their mind around and the, all the independent experts to sign off. But what's um, unique, it seems, about this port relative to everything else we sort of look at in, in WA is the diversity of, of users. From you know, cruise ships to cattle to breaking down caterpillar trucks and yellow goods for mines to bulk minerals as well gives it, gives it a, lot of, a lot of diversity. I guess the question is, you know, why hasn't it been done before is always one of the questions it's asked.
1: Yeah. And you're right. It does get asked a lot. It's the same with with Onslow. Why hasn't it been done earlier? It's just literally someone committing to getting on and doing it and having the background and and a team that's specifically focused on doing this piece of infrastructure. Yeah. If I think about OMSB, it takes someone to step up and, and actually go, do you know what? We're prepared to go and do this. And actually one of the key points that I think, you know, needs to be spoken about is that we're non-biased to industry. We're actually, it's not about, you know, I made the point earlier on about the majority of facilities and ports, they're biased to one product, whereas us, it's more—it's a co-op. And uh, you mentioned a number of different industries when you said Yellow Steel, so that could Caterpillar. So that's a roll-on roll-off market. I talk about the uh, general cargo. We talk about the ag, but it's giving everyone the availability to space. And so one of the things, big commitments that we gave to, to the state was we're open to everyone. It could be a cube or toll or any of the logistics operators. We're agnostic. We're there to support absolutely everyone. And I think that was part of the catalyst uh, for getting the approvals to get through and, um, and, and actually get on with it.
0: Do you want to just talk a little bit to the actual operation, you know, the specialty in, in sort of operator and, and the nature of that, sort of bringing best of breed? I guess from around the world i think was also appealing to us
1: so as we were constructing OMSB, but we were hyper focused on operations because it's not just about building a bigger berth or you know making more space it's how it's handled and so when you look at what we have here in australia we've actually got fantastic facilities right and it's and it's trying to get the most out of them and so when you look to europe they operate Uh, the facilities in a very efficient way and so it was trying to take some of those lessons and bring them here and even the management software and so what we did is we went on a worldwide tour basically and we wanted to see how these other ports were operating we knew the size that we wanted to build and so we looked at these operations that were similar and the thing that came to mind for me was um, Uh, the number of lifts per hour and in australia we, we really do struggle we're doing very well if we're doing sort of 15 to 20 lifts an hour when you go the rest of the world they're doing 50 plus lifts and it's not because they've got you know necessarily lots more cranes it's actually the way they receive their goods they're highly efficient And so we wanted to bring some of that IP to our facilities. And that is a management software. And that's where we went down the path working with everyone overseas and in Australia and looking at how they managed it. And in the end, we ended up with an an operator called Petersons. And so Petersons have been operating ports for over a hundred years and they are not port owners. They come in and, and they provide a management software to help you get that efficiency. And so we spent several years looking at their operations and looking at everyone else, and and we decided that you know they were the right party to work with. And so when we start operations, it's not that we go and um, get Petersons to bring in Stevedores or or others from other locations or, or around the world. We we don't in fact do that at all. They work with what's existing. So. In the Port of Broome, we have an arrangement with uh, the Kimberley Port Authority to use the, the Broom stevedores, and it's about making it more efficient for them and the way that they receive their goods so that we can achieve better efficiency, and, and it stems further than that you know it goes to the trucking companies working with the trucking companies locally that are going to bring these goods in so that they're not questioning when they need to arrive but making it very clear and having really good plans in place and uh and so yeah we've uh, we've gone down that path and and we'll be implementing what we call the tower system which basically is like an airport making sure that the airplanes are landing every 20 seconds so that when the if we've got I know a cattle vessel that needs to be loaded, we're not stopping and starting. We've got making sure those trucks are arriving one after another, so it's highly efficient. All oh, they're there and they just get there just in time, you know. So we're really excited to work with Peterson and help bring that tech.
0: Andrew, what's the timing for uh, delivery of KMSB and commissioning? And ramp up?
1: Yeah, so um, we're underway, which is fantastic, and we're on schedule. We are set for opening in the first quarter of 2025, and it's not going to surprise me if we're before then. Um, We've left ourselves. Plenty of capacity, um, so that for the arrival of the uh, floating asset, if if we get the right weather, you know, we gave ourselves plenty of time, so we're not putting duress on, on ourselves or the uh, contractor, um, so that when it arrives, we can do it at the right time. So I'm not going to jinx myself, but you know, we will uh, will be operating in the first quarter of 25 uh, and maybe earlier great so
0: one of the things um, Merrick's investors in our credit funds like to do is to go and visit assets I'm sure it'll be overrun with demand middle of uh, winter in Sydney Melbourne um, people happy to go and do a site visit in Broome not sure if we'll see much come June July next year but um he's he's hoping maybe you know first quarter maybe not so much in 2025 middle of wet season not always so popular
1: you know there's a lot happening there already and it's funny this project and one of the things I love about ports is you know that they are they're an economic enabler and we're seeing the ripple effect and it's not everyone knows that we're we're it's coming and so we're already seeing activity in the Port of Broome. There is existing facilities that are getting upgrades. Uh, you know, there's warehouses getting paint, you know, paint jobs done. Uh, this company is going up and investing in land. We're seeing it already. And you're, you're right, next year we'll be building the causeway out. And I'm really excited to, um, to see that asset come in and I'll make sure we're all there to see it.
0: I'm sure. Maybe we'll just finish up, you know, one of the things um, people always ask us and try and understand, you know, wh- why partner with a, a group like Merix in terms of, you know, non-bank debt? Obviously, we're slightly more expensive than than bank debt. Um, you know, what was the the points of different for you and your consideration working with us to provide the debt?
1: When I think back about going through the process, and I've done this a few times now, and the one thing I see with Merix is... Um, You're very much like a partner. And the fact that you're able to move swiftly. For us, it's about getting to market. You know, it's the opportunity cost of not getting to market as soon as possible. We've got reservation fees and we know the traffic's coming you talk about tourism and other things so we know the day we open we've got traffic and um and it's and even going through that due diligence process you know it's not just a desktop study yeah you know, Merricks, there was a team that came up and and you got to meet with the kimberley port authority you got to meet with the chamber of commerce and industry you took the time to actually go through it and it was extremely efficient and even going through the process of writing the facility arrangement, that was you know, efficient as well. So, you know, we had options. We had lots of options to go through and yes, it is um, uh, more expensive, but... When I look at the opportunity cost and potentially another eight, 12 months to finalize it, you get an approval and then you have to go through. The cost of being able to operate, even you know, putting to aside the revenue that's going to be created, but the, you know, the cost of facilities and other things, the, the extra you know, points that you, you, you pay are actually outweighed in time. If that makes sense. So, for us, being able to get on with it, and uh, you know, in the construction world, like we're fortunate we've got a lump sum contract, but the, the longer things take, um, the more costs come into the project. And so, with the project the size of ours, we want to lock it down as soon as we possibly can. And so, eight months, 12 months uh, is a huge difference in the cost of steel, uh, availability of labor, you name it. So, when I look at it, Partnering with Merricks is actually a cheaper option in the long run. It's a different thing through construction debt to the investment. Um, so, you yeah, know, Merix really is the perfect partner for us um, going through this process.
0: I'll have to go back to the team and say they, they provided funding too cheaply, Andrew, in hindsight. No. That's, is that what I had? No, not, not quite. But um, I think it's fair to say, you know, it's one of the more exciting and fulfilling things that we're funding you know, when, you, when you go out to places as far flung as Broome and we can play a small part in, in help moving trade in that part of the world, it's it's exciting. I think for our investors and yeah, incredibly innovative what you're doing. I guess bringing bringing the best of some of the biggest companies in the in the country to uh, some private enterprise. We've run out of time today, and um, I know it's a project we can talk a lot about. Um, you've been kind enough to not only participate today, but in our investor days, and so giving giving an opportunity for investors to to meet you directly. But I think it's you know it's one of the, the great opportunities is private debt emerges in Australia as an alternative to banks. It's it's an enabler for private capital, whether it be from our institutional clients, wholesale, individual clients, to actually um, to help facilitate some incredible development across the country so thanks for your time today and um, you yeah, know we will look forward to following the progress closely of kmsb
1: thanks for having me i've really enjoyed it it's great
0: merrick's capital is an australian fund manager delivering a truly differentiated multi-strategy offering with extensive investment capability and global experience spanning multiple asset classes. To learn more about Merix Capital, head to www.merixcapital.com.